live from Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal, Season 9. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Dark Paranormal, Season 9. First and foremost, a huge thank you to everyone who reached out following last week's episode. And if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com. Now, as promised last week, in this week's show, we're going to once again reopen the door to the dreaded Room 232. It was one of our most hotly talked about episodes from Season 7. And if you haven't already, I would suggest going back and listening to that episode first before you hear this follow-up episode. But for those in need of a quick reminder, Jessie and her friends all attended a rather strict religious college in Kentucky, and whilst there they had the misfortune of staying in room 232. Little did they know that what should have been the most exciting time of their lives quickly turned into the most terrifying time they would ever have. Seemingly terrorised on a daily basis by some supernatural entity who, and we never got to the bottom of why, seemed to have something to do with the mysterious Miss Thompson, one of the lecturers who lived within the same block. Following the release of the episode Room 232, Jessie and her friends have since got together to discuss their experiences. And what we're going to hear today is not really a conclusion to Room 232. It's more of a detailed addendum, filling in some of the blanks that were missing from the original episode and going into detail on how the experience has affected the lives of those involved. But trust me, the information held within the email I received is enough to make you want to keep the lights on tonight. However, before we revisit Jesse's true paranormal experience at Room 232, we of course need to thank our wonderful Patreons. When you sign up to Patreon, not only do you receive these episodes ad-free and before everyone else, you can also receive exclusive access to our Patreon-only podcast, Dark Bites. Dark Bites is a show which runs each and every week, even on the downtime in between seasons meaning you never miss your paranormal fix. And there are over 30 hours of unheard content over there to binge on right now. We've built a wonderful community of like-minded paranormal enthusiasts over on Patreon. And we'd like to extend an exclusive invitation just for you. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. Just like these wonderful new team members have. Brittany Landers, Ethan J. Cooper, Tara Pope Alvira, Quietly Into Darkness, Casey Lang, Hannah Rindane, Hadley Aponte Good, Helen Marriott, Robin Gann, Noah Parker, Dylan McMillan, Tatiana White, McKenna Rusted, Benjamin Woodrow, Sonia Bowkett, Karen Milliard, Sarah, Farhad Farshimi, Kelly Crenshaw, Mandy Fitzgerald, Mav, Moises Gomez, and Craig Hunt. Thank you so much, guys, for becoming our newest team members over on Patreon. And I hope you enjoy all the early releases and, of course, all those Dark Bites episodes. So, if you'd like to join the team, simply head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. But right now, 
it's time to lower the lights. Make yourself comfortable and, of course, leave your disbelief at the door as we return once more to room 232. It's been almost three years since I and my roommates lived in the notorious Room 232. We all continued to heal and move on, but we never forgot. For me, I've been healing quite well since I left Kentucky. However, the memories quietly hover over my perception of everyday life. When I first wrote down our story... I didn't think there would be anything left to say. But I was wrong. Very wrong. After years of healing, I and my roommates began remembering things long forgotten from the trauma. They were forgotten for good reason. In that, they were the most horrifying experiences of them all. Also... I realised that there were many unanswered questions in the first writings. To be honest, I couldn't answer them all at the time, simply because I didn't know the answers. However, I can answer them now. Lastly, I truly believe that the time in Room 232 has made me more sensitive to the spiritual world. So, once I've concluded my Room 232 experience, I'll add on a couple of extra paranormal experiences that I've had personally since I left Kentucky. The rest of our stories begin in the spring of 2021. At the time, I was preparing to return to Kentucky to finish college after my semester-long hiatus. I knew this would be a grave mistake but I wanted to please my parents and make them proud. One needs to understand, I did try to tell them about what happened in Room 232, but it didn't seem to phase them. I realise now that I most likely didn't explain what happened clearly enough. On the other hand, they may not have believed me, but either way, I didn't hold it against them. When I arrived on campus, I had a terrible taste in my mouth. I just knew returning was going to be the end of me. The first thing I did when I got out of the car was look up to the dorm door that read Room 232. I later learned that the room was closed for housing and was temporarily used as a quarantine room for students with covid since then, the room had been empty and used for extra storage. As the school year began, I kept an extremely low profile. I did have a few friends that I talked to occasionally, but otherwise, my social life was very limited. Our story had not been widely publicised at the time, so very few people knew anything about what happened to me and my roommates. Even if someone happened to know a bit of what happened, their bit of truth had most likely been turned into stretch stories that could no longer be considered true. I did tell bits and pieces to the few people who asked about it, but besides that, I kept our story to myself. As for Miss Thompson, 
she didn't bother me at all when I came back. In fact, we didn't speak unless it was absolutely necessary. It was truly like nothing had ever happened. Our story remained in the shadows as far-fetched rumours. Not two weeks had passed of being back on campus, and I had completely lost control of my mental health. I started having severe flashbacks, which had me spiralling into a heavy depression. I couldn't bear to call my parents, so I kept going to classes and trying to function despite my condition. Thankfully, I didn't have any paranormal experiences in my new room, but life was far from easy. One afternoon after classes, I was sat on the edge of my bed, scrolling through Instagram. I didn't know it at the time, but I came across a clip that apparently is the famous jump scare from the film Insidious. Now, it's nothing special that I jumped after watching the clip, because anyone watching that for the first time would be caught off guard. However, it wasn't the jump scare that really got to me. It was the face of the demon. More specifically, its eyes. I watched the video multiple times until I could pause it at the right moment when the demon's face could be seen clearly. Something about those bright, yellowish eyes contrasted on the black and red face reminded me of the demon in 232 and I was instantly triggered. I set the phone down and helplessly watched my hands start to shake and I felt my jaws start to chatter. A nightmare long forgotten returned to my memory and I began to vividly relive it as if it was happening at that very moment. In this forgotten nightmare, I was back in room 232. One night when the demonic activity in the room was at its peak, I was trying to calm my roommates when I finally just snapped. I was done. I burst through our dorm door and was determined to leave. To my surprise, Miss Thompson was standing outside her apartment a few feet away from me facing our room. I lost all sense of dignity and started screaming at her. This is all your fault, I screamed, pointing my finger in her face. She didn't say anything, but she had a look of guilt and despair on her face. I angrily turned away and headed towards the lobby area, still shouting obscenities at her. When I reached the lobby door... I glanced back at Miss Thompson to see her entering back into her apartment. I scoffed at her as I opened the door to the lobby area. Once inside, I stomped up to the night guard on duty and announced that I was leaving there and then, and he needed to do whatever it took to make it happen. He tried to calm me down and slowly explained that he needed a staff member's approval before he could help. I was so angry, but at this point, I didn't care what I had to do. I swiftly walked back up to Miss Thompson's apartment, banged on the door with my fist, and insisted that she answer the door. I continued to yell through the door until she finally opened it. I tried to calm myself, and I explained 
quietly that I wanted to leave. But the night guard needed her approval before I left. She looked extremely nervous, and her eyes darted back and forth, and she said nothing. Annoyed, I very sternly asked, Why aren't you answering me? She muttered, very nervously, that it was watching her, and she couldn't talk, because it was 3am. What are you not telling me? I demanded. She slowly started closing the door, muttering that I needed to come back later, and that she would explain everything then. I just stood there at a total loss. I wanted answers. I walked a few steps back to my dorm room and went inside. I looked around the darkness and realised the atmosphere was calm. I sat next to Rhea's bed and laid my head there until I fell asleep. When I woke up, I looked at the time and it read 5am. So I immediately got up, walked to Miss Thompson's apartment and promptly knocked on the door. Miss Thompson opened the door almost instantly and let me inside. The apartment looked like any typical elder lady's home. There was a flowery couch, a small wooden dining table, and a couple of old frames hanging on the wall. To my surprise, the apartment was only the size of one dorm room. When we sat down at the kitchen table, I questioned her about the size of the room. She explained that the apartment had always been just one room, room 234. However, room 233 had been sealed off since she had moved in. She pointed behind me to a door that looked like it hadn't been opened in decades. That door, she said. That door leads to room 233. And, well, something. She stared at the door, as if choosing her words carefully. Something evil lives in that room. And it tortures all those who live around it. At this point, the sun was starting to rise, and light was starting to softly peek through Miss Thompson's kitchen window. I desperately wanted to know what was in that room before I left. I reasoned with Miss Thompson that if anyone deserved to know what was in that room, it was me and my roommates. Besides, the sun was coming up, so whatever demon was there would probably be less active. She was extremely reluctant to let me open the door, but she gave in after I presented a very convincing argument. So I put my hand on the handle and began to push the jammed door forward. The door swung open, and I scanned the room. Let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. 
And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank account. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step-by-step step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies, and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to do list with Policy Genius. So head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. The room was very dark, with the exception of a few sunbeams coming through the one bare window. A few dusty crates cluttered the corner of the room, but the rest of the room sat empty. I began to feel rather underwhelmed as I watched dust specks softly float in the sunbeams coming from the window, until something moved. There, in the darkness, I froze and stared in the direction of the movement. To my terror, a disfigured face slowly moved from the darkness into the sunlight. I couldn't see the whole face but it was a shadowy black face with bright, terrifying yellow eyes. The eyes were wide open and staring into my soul with the indefinite intent to harm me. The next thing I remember, I was waking up with a jerk of adrenaline and the memory ended. As I came back to reality on the edge of my bed, I started regaining control of my shaky hands and trembling jaw. I realised I should talk to someone, so I messaged Ray. I explained what happened and why I was so upset. I was frustrated because I never actually saw the entity in room 232, but I always saw glimpses of it in my dreams. All I knew was that it was a large, shadowy mass with long limbs. We talked about the subject for a good while, when Ray described the night when she saw the entity for the first and only time. Ray had woken up suddenly one night in room 232. She was facing the wall when she woke and she lazily rolled over to face the inside of the room to try and get comfortable again. The soft gleam from the streetlights outside lit up space just enough to where Ray was able to see around the room and her heart jumped into her throat as she quickly realised there was a man in the room. Well, at first glance, she thought it was a man, but the more she looked, the more she realised it couldn't be human. It was very tall, with extremely long legs and disproportionately long arms. It was like a shadow, but at the same time it wasn't. It was like someone was standing at the window and their shadow was being cast into our room and the shadow 
had become its own being. No facial features or any defining features. It was just an inky blackness shaped like a humanoid. Ray was absolutely horrified. Tears rolled down her cheeks, and she just knew this eyeless thing was looking right at her. Somehow, she found the will to turn over and face the wall again, just so she didn't have to look at it anymore. She closed her eyes and silently prayed until she fell back asleep. Ray finished her story, and somehow it helped me feel validated enough to continue through the semester. I remember one night, I was walking and messing around with a friend outside the dorm doors. As we were joking around, we were about to walk across the corner where room 232 was located. It was dark outside, but we could see enough in front of us to see something was out of the ordinary. The door to room 232 was open. It wasn't completely open, but it was open about a foot or two wide. I just froze, and the smile that was on my face disappeared instantly. The friend that was with me was also close friend with Ray, so she understood why I was so startled. The inside of the room was so intensely dark that it sent a chill down my spine. Maybe someone was working in the room. Well, there appeared to be no one around or inside the room. Every door on campus locked automatically when someone left. So either someone unlocked it from the outside and left it open for some reason, or someone opened it from the inside. Neither of us wanted to go near the doorway, so we just slipped past it and left it the way it was. But it creeped both of us out. There was another day when I was working in the kitchen with a freshman that I didn't know. Of course, I tried to make friendly talk so it wouldn't be awkward, and we were both chatting away whilst finishing the last of the dishes. Somehow she mentioned that she was living in room 231 for the year. We kept talking, but my curiosity got the better of me. Once the time was right, I casually asked if she'd ever experienced or heard anything weird or out of the ordinary while she lived there. She was very open to the idea of the paranormal, but she claimed she never had anything happen to her in that room. However, she did say she often heard noises and knocking next door. Room 232. She even claimed that she'd heard the toilet flushing a couple of times. Room 232 was still being used as a storage room, not a living facility. So there was no reason why there were noises coming from that room. I didn't push my curiosity much further, but I did mention that I used to live in 232 the previous year, and that some weird stuff had happened, so I was just curious. She didn't even know me, but you could tell that even she knew something was up in the room next door. One has to understand, I often questioned my sanity after the whole ordeal, so hearing someone else's opinion on the matter brought me great peace. The semester ended, and I was a mental wreck. Completing four years in this college was no longer an option. 
My parents were obviously disappointed when I told them I needed to come home, but they understood that I was done being in Kentucky. When summer began, I began packing my belongings and preparing for a long drive home. However, I was not heading home quite yet. It was time to travel to Ohio for Ray's wedding. Diane would be travelling to pick me up and we would carpool together for the trip. It was an amazing, refreshing getaway and I would do anything to do it all again. One of the nights before the wedding, Ray, Diane and I all sat down and agreed we needed to talk about what happened to us. It was the first time we talked about it as a group since the spring of 2020. We discussed many things that night, but there were many things we still couldn't remember. We were all processing it differently, but we had similar PTSD symptoms. We also discussed why we didn't leave sooner. All of us had the same reason. We didn't want to be considered failures. If someone left that particular college, they were completely excommunicated by the administration. In fact, any communication between the enrolled students and dropout students was outlawed. Sounds supportive, doesn't it? I hope my sarcasm is clear. For anyone wondering, none of us support that college anymore. In fact, I believe it to be more of a cult, if anything. Sure, they still have good things happen there, but their rulebook and administration need a reality check. Rules are made to keep safety, morals and order, which I'm totally okay with. But when the rules lose their sense of credence and reality, they create a suffocating cultish residence. This was the environment we lived in during the Room 232 experience. When I finally arrived home in sunny California, I decided I needed professional help for my mental health. Therapy for PTSD was not easy. I wanted to get better as soon as I possibly could, and I worked hard with the exercises my therapist gave me. The longer I worked at it, the more I realised how much I'd forgotten. It was like lightbulb memories and details were flicking on in my brain. It was exciting and terrible at the same time. One memory that returned was the smell. It was not present all the time. It would come and go randomly. Now, given the fact there were four girls living in one room, that may lead one to believe that the presence of bodies and all of our stuff would cause all kinds of smells. Well, that's true to a point. However, our room was spotless. This is not an exaggeration. I would go as far to say that our room was the cleanest room on campus. All of us worked hard to keep our room uncluttered and clean. The smell was hard to describe, but it smelled rotten but I can't pinpoint an exact smell to associate it with for comparison. We would open the windows and even the door for hours, but it wouldn't help. Then it would just dissipate. I wasn't the only one remembering things. Ray and Diane were both remembering things over time. And this next story was one of Ray's. She'd completely blocked the memory out 
until she saw a specific scene from a movie which jogged her memory. Ray was sat cross-legged on her bed, quietly working on one of her final projects. Papers, binders, books and other supplies were all strewn out in front of her as she busily worked with what little time she had. She was tired of everything that had been happening and she just wanted to get through that semester and go home for Thanksgiving and Christmas. The unusual activity was not as common during the day, so Ray felt that she would be fine even without anyone else in the room. Sadly, this would not be the case. Everything felt normal to Ray, until suddenly, it just didn't anymore. It felt to her as if something shifted in the room. Not a physical shifting, but an unseen shifting that made her internal alarm scream. With her instincts working, every hair on the back of her neck began to stand up as she knew she was no longer alone in room 232. She sat there for a moment, looking around her almost waiting for something to fall off a dresser or maybe to hear some movement. Ray expected the demon to do something to the room, but this time it did something to her. She felt something cold wrap around her ankle and before she knew it, she was lunged across the room flat on her back. Papers rained down around her and her back burned from the scraping on the carpet. The back of her head throbbed from hitting the ground and the wind was knocked out of her lungs. Ray's heart pounded as she scrambled to her feet and started grabbing her belongings together. She frantically stuffed her papers into the binder, clutched her keys and phone and ran out of the door, leaving the lights on. Ray ran barefoot to her sister's room and stayed there until she knew at least one of us had returned. She never finished that last project or paper. She just sat on her sister's bed, trying to understand what had just happened to her. She didn't tell anyone what had happened at the time, and consequently, her brain protected her sanity. It took two years of healing for Ray to remember what happened that afternoon. Looking back, we most likely would have reached out for help sooner if we'd known what had happened that afternoon. When Ray told me this memory, I was shocked. I thought about it for days, and something about it just wasn't sitting right with me. I knew there was a memory light bulb starting to flicker, but I couldn't pinpoint exactly what it was. Now, even though I went to therapy and learned how to process emotions and get some memories back, therapy wasn't a miracle worker. I couldn't remember much. But what I did remember hit me like a freight train. There was one night when I specifically remembered being grabbed by a cold hand on my right leg. At the time, all I could remember was being extremely frightened and internally screaming to God to make it stop. I do not remember getting off the bed. However, I remember being on the floor next to my bed, looking up at the sheets and blankets that were pulled in a fashion that seemed as if I may have been pulled off the bed. I don't remember getting back on my bed, nor do I remember anything else from that night. However, even as I write this, my hands are starting to slightly shiver. 
I can't know for sure if I was pulled off my bed that night. But that one memory certainly points in that direction. Experiencing something paranormal for a long period of time affects how you perceive the world around you. For example, Diane and I discussed the differences in our lives now compared to our lives four years ago. One fun fact was that we're no longer phased or scared watching horror movies. However, that doesn't mean nothing scares us. For Diane, the fear of the dark conjured itself after Room 232. For me, I had an extreme fear of abandonment. It was the strangest thing. I would just be sitting at home after work, when suddenly I would get the overwhelming fear that my parents would never come home and I would be left alone forever. These symptoms were not including all the anxiety, depression, panic attacks and extreme insomnia that came along with the PTSD package. Hopefully this helps give a sneak peek into how this all affected our lives in the long run. This next story was mine and Diane's. I'm going to take a moment and note, I was very hesitant to share this story. It's extremely disturbing, and I ask that the listener proceed with caution. This was some time in the fall semester. I was listening to some music and getting some last-minute tasks done. I was required to attend a conference that night in the chapel, so I wanted to get as much done as I could before that conference started. As the time for the conference got closer, my demeanour started to change. I felt angry, and even annoyed that I even had to go to the conference. As the sun began to descend, so did my attitude. I paced back and forth in my room, debating on whether I'd even go. But I knew that the dorm rooms would be checked once the conference had started to make sure everyone was attending. But I still tried to think of a way to get out of it. It was five minutes till the conference started and I gave up and went anyway. Why was I so upset about this? The angry thoughts became louder and louder in my mind. Once I reached the chapel... I sat in the back by myself and the service started soon after. The congregation sang songs and prepared the preaching, but I wanted no part of it. I didn't want to sing and I didn't want to be there. Why did I feel this way? I loved to sing. It was completely out of character for me. One distinct detail that I remember was being so cold. It was freezing in that chapel. This, believe it or not, was not out of the ordinary. Generally, the staff would keep it cool in the chapel to make sure the students stayed awake during services. But this was beyond cool. This was freezing. I glanced at a thermostat and read the number on it. Minus 59 degrees. As the preaching began... I sat there not engaging at all, and then I got the most intrusive, horrible and disturbing thought. I looked over to the side door in the chapel, and I thought, if I had a gun, who would I shoot first? 
I began to see a vision of myself bursting through the chapel door with a gun, sobbing uncontrollably. The whole auditorium going into panic as I point a gun around in a manic manner. Still sobbing, I slowly lift the gun into the roof of my mouth and... Well, I leave the rest to your imagination. Snapping back into reality, a tear softly rolled down my cheek. I quickly brushed it away and felt lost. My mind cleared and I realised what was happening. And I knew I had to fight back. I refused to let the influence of the demon win. When the conference service ended, I opened the snack shop for the conference guests and stayed out of the room until curfew. This was when Diane came into the story. That night when my roommates had arrived home from work, I opened up to Diane about what happened at the conference, and her jaw dropped in shock. She went on to explain that she was in the conference the day before, and had had the exact same experience. The unexplained rage, the thoughts... The visions were exceptionally similar. The only difference, however, was the person who would have been killed. Instead of Diane taking out herself, she took out Miss Thompson. It was all too specific to be a coincidence. So those are my additions to the Room 232 saga. But as I mentioned before, I truly believe living in Room 232 has made me more sensitive to the spiritual world. So I have a couple of stories to share. The first one took place in January 2022. My grandma and I took a trip to the coast of California. We spent most of our time relaxing at the beaches and towns of Fort Bragg, but we also went to Silicon Valley for a couple of days. One of those days we planned to visit the Winchester Mansion. For those unaware of the famous story, when her child and husband passed away, the mourning Sarah Winchester had no direction on what to do with her new fortune. She sought the help of a medium, who informed her that her deceased husband wanted her to build a mansion in order to provide shelter for the spirits who died at the hand of a Winchester musket. The only rule was, don't stop building or Sarah would die. The widow did exactly as she was told and created a masterpiece called the Winchester Mansion. My grandma and I began the tour with the rest of the tourists. We slowly made our way through the house and I was absolutely hypnotised with how massive and extravagant it was. Halfway through the tour, the tour guide announced that the next room that we would visit would be the seance room. Hearing this made me uneasy but I felt comfort in knowing my grandma was with me. People in front of us began to fill the open space in the room, and I trailed behind my grandma until I reached the doorway. I took one step into that room, and my world started spinning. The dizziness was so intense I couldn't even walk straight. Soon I realised that other tourists were beginning to stare and I very sloppily walked over to my grandma, who had a worried look on her face. I leaned on her a bit to keep my balance while she whispered, Are you okay? I told her I was fine, I was just having a bit of a dizzy spell. I didn't want her to worry, but I was anything but fine. 
The dizziness grew worse and I got an intense wave of nausea. The tour guide started talking and I tried to keep my balance secure whilst holding on to my grandma's shoulder. My vision was starting to get blocked with little black spots and I was quietly panicking. Please don't pass out. Please don't pass out. I internally said to myself. I fought to stay conscious until I noticed the group was starting to walk to the next room. My grandma helped me leave the seance room and I instantly started to feel better. She walked me to an open space and I stood there and told her I was fine and that she should keep exploring. Suddenly, I felt someone tug the back of my jacket. When I felt the tugging, I turned around and fully expected someone to be there. To my surprise, there was no one except a man stood about five feet away from me, who was paying me no mind. I was a bit confused, but naturally I turned back around. Instantly, I felt the tugging once more, so I whipped around to see who it was, but again, there was no one. I felt very uneasy and felt like I was being toyed with. I walked away from the open space and joined my grandma for the rest of the tour. Near the end of the tour, the guide mentioned that many previous tourists and workers had had otherworldly experiences. Those included the following. Seeing shadow figures, feeling clothes being tugged and hearing voices. As soon as he mentioned that, I realised I'd just had my first paranormal experience since leaving Kentucky. My final experience took place in April 2022. I was on another vacation visiting Diane in Tennessee. One evening in Chattanooga, we went on the Murder and Mayhem Haunted History Tour in the downtown area. Everything was great until the very last location. It was a very old brick building that had two locked double glass doors as an entrance. On either side of the glass doors were these ornate massive window displays. It was not easy to look into that building at first glance. Most of our view was blocked by dusty old blinds hanging in the windows. To see inside we would need to walk up to the glass doors. The tour guide revealed to us that this building was an abandoned asylum. That figures, I thought. He went on to tell us the eerie history and the terrifying stories that went along with it. As he talked, I looked over to the window closest to me. Were those blinds moving? I blinked a few times to make sure my contacts weren't blurring my vision. I stared but quickly brushed it off. Once the tour guide was done, we were all given the chance to go up to the double doors and try to look inside. As I got closer to the dusty glass doors, red flags started going off in my head. Danger, stay away. I cut my hands to the side of my head and leaned in to look beyond the lightly tinted glass. Everything inside me was screaming to leave it alone and walk away. Did I? No. I just had to know what was inside. I scanned the abandoned lobby cautiously. The first thing I realised was that the area looked like a tornado had ripped through it and then had been left for decades to collect dust. 
the next thing I saw would forever haunt me. A massive shadowy mass darted past the right-hand corner of the lobby without warning. My adrenaline made me gasp and flinch. That's enough for me, I thought to myself, as I instantly walked away from the glass. Diane noticed I was startled and asked me what happened. As we walked to the end of the tour, I told her everything. Her jaw dropped and she added that she'd seen the blinds moving as well. Since the first podcast has been released, my roommates and I have received loads of support from friends, family, students and ex-students from that Kentucky college. I'm very pleased to say that even my parents openly admitted they did not realise how extreme living in Kentucky was and they would try to support me better in the future. Receiving the support alone helped us move on. We were no longer abandoned and we were no longer cast aside. I hope you've enjoyed Chapter 2 of Room 232. However, there is one more thing to add before I close our story for good. When I first began the first draft of Chapter 2, strange things began to happen at my office. One day when I was writing, the door motion sensor would not stop going off for some reason, even though there wasn't anything opening or touching the door. Then, the office dog started acting incredibly spooked. He wanted to stay by my side at all costs, which is very out of character for him. After this happened, I started getting nervous, so I closed my writings and walked around for a bit. The dog stayed by my side the whole time, except when I got to the storage room in the office. I had a strange feeling, but I took a few steps inside. I felt slightly dizzy, so I left the room and didn't work on Chapter 2 for the rest of the workday. Nothing else happened until I went to work the next day. I opened up my document and realised that the work I did the previous day, and the day before that, was gone. I was so frustrated because the writing had already been saved several times and shouldn't have just disappeared. I tried to recover it, but in the process, I ended up accidentally deleting my whole first draft from the email. I was absolutely devastated. Almost 15 hours of work were completely wasted. When I decided to try again, I downloaded a completely different desktop that wouldn't delete my drafts forever. I also backed it up to a USB just in case. If it was to have disappeared again, I would have taken it as a sign that I didn't need to tell the rest of the story. Yet, here we are. I sincerely thank you for your time and for your support. Jesse. Wow, Jesse, thank you so much for once again reopening old wounds and allowing us to look in to room 232 in even more detail. It's an exceptionally interesting theory that you hit on there that people who have traumatic experiences with the paranormal may indeed themselves become more sensitive to the paranormal world around them, though I'm unsure if I'd count that as a blessing or as a curse. One thing I do know for sure is that if there's one person I wish I could get on this show, it would be Miss Thompson as I believe that she would have more than a fair amount of tales to share. And perhaps we'd uncover even more facts about Room 232. 
So that brings us to the end of another episode of The Dark Paranormal. But before we sign off, I'd just like to remind you that you can get us on all the social medias. Just search for The Dark Paranormal. We've even started a YouTube channel. There's currently only one episode up there, but if you search in YouTube at The Dark Paranormal, you should be able to find it. Let me know what you think. As ever, thank you for choosing to spend your time with me here on the show. For our Patreons, I'll speak to you on Sunday for another episode of Dark Bites. And for everyone, I'll speak to you on Friday for our next episode. Until then, remember, when you're discussing the paranormal, always try and leave your disbelief at the door. And I'll speak to you next time, here on The Dark Paranormal. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.